0: look around. Abundance and overindulgences surround us, at least in the West. And honestly, it's challenging to live a life fully committed to Jesus without getting caught up in all the trappings of this world. Next on Leading the Way, Dr. Michael Youssef takes you to where faith meets life, sharing practical advice from the Apostle Paul about living a healthy Christian life in a sick
1: world. They wanted to hold on to all of the blessings that came as a result of their putting their faith in Jesus. But they also wanted to hold on to the immorality of the culture of the day. They wanted to have one foot with Jesus and one foot with the corrupt culture. It's impossible to do. Something is going to give sooner or later.
0: Welcome to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Stand by for practical truth about standing firm in and for Christ. It's part of a new series called Healthy Living in a Sick World. You'll go with Dr. Michael Youssef into the pages of 1 Corinthians. So if you're not driving or if you're not doing something dangerous and you can have your Bible or your Bible app handy, go ahead and look there. That way you can dig deeper into this challenging study as Dr. Michael Youssef begins.
1: I don't think there is a doubt in anyone's mind that our world is very sick and is getting sicker by the day. And even in the Church of Jesus Christ, there's some who have abandoned the truth that they once preached and once believed for the sake of popularity and acceptance. And we see it all around. Church leaders, both lay and clergy, that I personally have known, uh, had strong biblical stance. Now they question the authority of the Scripture. And the question is this, how can you and I live a healthy, spiritual life in a sick world that's getting sicker? Now, through the years when I needed answers to big questions in life, I have learned the hard way that all of my attempts, all of my studies, and all of my answers, they at best, not the worst, at best, are very temporary. But if I go to the Word of God, which I fully trust as infallible and inerrant, I get permanent and lasting answers. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go to the Word of God. As I commence this series of messages entitled healthy living in a sick world. We're going to be looking specifically at the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. A little bit of background. Paul pioneered the church in Corinth. He was the first one to preach the gospel in the town, in the city of Corinth. He founded the church of Jesus Christ there in Corinth. Paul received a lot of grief from the church of Corinth. And that is why he writes two of his longest letters, two of his longest epistles in the Bible to that church in Corinth. Why? Because Corinth was not an easy city to preach the gospel in. Uh, Corinth was not an easy city for the believers to remain faithful to the Lord in that city. Back then, It was the crossroads of trade. Back then, it was the entertainment center. Back then, it was a cosmopolitan city where people from all over the world were living in Corinth. Back then, it was the center of pagan worship. Back then, it hosted two of the major global athletic events. Back then, it was renowned for its corruption. Back then, it contained the temple of the goddess Venus with its 1,000 prophetesses. In fact, Corinth became so synonymous with immorality and the dreadful immorality of Corinth. It was known for its sexual license that sometimes you want to insult the person or insult the town, and you say they are being Corinthianized. Again, it's these impossible odds The Apostle Paul preaches the gospel in Corinth, and there he founded the Church of Jesus Christ in that city. Like so many churches today, the Corinthians believer, listen to me, the Corinthians believer had a very hard time not to import the godlessness and the immoral culture into the church. They have had a very hard time, and they had an extremely difficult time not to be impacted by the immoral culture around them. The Corinthian church had a a ferocious battle in their hands in resisting the infection of that sick world. Bottom line, they were importing Godless lifestyles into the church. They were importing godless methodology and methods of operation into the church. They were importing worldly techniques into the church. Please listen carefully. Here is the real battle among the believers. They wanted to hold on to all of the blessings that came as a result of their putting their faith in Jesus, but they also wanted to hold on to the immorality of the culture of the day. They wanted to have one foot with Jesus and one foot with the corrupt culture. And that is why Paul tells them in chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, that this is impossible. It's impossible to do. Something is going to give sooner or later. Others in the church had confused priority—listen to me very carefully, this is important because easily we have confused priorities, like the Corinthians. What they did, they shunned the pagans in the world completely, whom they're supposed to be reaching out to and testifying to and reaching for Jesus Christ, but then they've been chummy with the immoral, incarnate Christians. And Paul is saying, you should do the opposite. You should shun the immoral and the carnal Christian, and then you should reach out with love to the pagan world. Confused priorities. And he says, stop that confusion. But the one thing that hits you like a lightning bolt if you focus on it, (laughs) that in the midst of all this, he called them saints. The NIV said holy, but really literally the word saints. Some other translation says saints. Listen to verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. Can you imagine that? Together with all those who are very… in every place, who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Paul is calling the Christian believers in Corinth messed up as they are, as they were. He calls them saints. How come? Beloved, listen. According to the Word of God, every true believer in Jesus is a saint. Every born-again believer is a saint. Everyone who believes that Jesus is their only Savior and Lord, whether they are faithful or not, whether they are totally committed to Him or not, whether they are active or not, whether they are faithfully living for Christ or not. Paul calls them saints. (laughs) I told you, it's mind-blowing when you think about it. Why? Because believers in Jesus are saved by grace and not by works. Because believers in Jesus are positionally saved even if they are not acting like it. Because believers in Jesus have nothing to do with what they did or did not do. Now, before I go any further, I want to balance this. Listen carefully. God has an amazing way of disciplining His wayward children. Now, I know that some Christians don't like the word discipline. I said, do you want me to take it out of the Bible? He says, He disciplines those whom He loves. He chastises those whom He loves. God has a way of chastising sinning saints. God has a way of dealing with the constantly and continuously disobedient saints. In practice, there were gross sinners, (laughs) but in position, there were saints. Why? Because positionally, God sees the believers through the righteousness, the prism of the righteousness of His Son, Jesus, who took our sin upon His cross. Positionally, we are already sanctified, but also we are daily being sanctified. And that is why the Holy Spirit always brings us under conviction in the area of our practice. He doesn't bring us under conviction in the area of our position, because that is settled. Therefore, there is no condemnation upon those who were in Christ Jesus. So the conviction comes in the area of our practice. When we are tempted to take the wrong turns, when we are tempted to wink at sin, when we are tempted to compromise our convictions, when we are tempted to take the shortcuts and the easy way out, when we know it's wrong, <laughs> at that moment we need to stop and remind ourselves who we are. That he who dwells in us is greater than he is in the world. That he who dwells in us is more powerful than temptation. That he who dwells in us can give us the power to live a healthy life in a sick world. On what basis are we to live healthy lives in a sick world? Well. Chapter 1, verses 4 to 9, Paul gives us the answer. Because we have been declared to be saints, or as I said, the other translation is holy, we've already been declared that, therefore we should live holy lives. Because we have been given holy nature, therefore we can live holy lives. Because we are seen by a holy God to be holy, (laughs) therefore we can live holy. Now, I'm going to give you a little grammar lesson. This is just going to be very brief, but it's going to bless you. Here, you see the indicative comes before the imperative. You say, what's big about this? It's very big. Listen to me. The indicative forms the basis for the imperative. Imperative. Because the Pharisees and the legalists also, you must not do this, you must do this, you must do this, you must not do this. What it means for the indicative becomes the basis for the imperative. Here's the indicative You are. That's the indicative, right? This is the indicative. You are. What's the imperative? Therefore, you must live like it. Because you already are. Therefore, you live like it. You are live like it. That is really what this great blessing is about. Your child will always be your child, no matter what they do. He or she is your child. And for those who may have wayward children, let me tell you, the most important thing you can do is to remind them of the love you have for them because he or she is your child nothing is going to change your love for them. But listen, I'm also aware of the fact that those wayward children may break our hearts in two by what they're practicing. But that does not change their position as your child. This is true with the believer who is living deliberately in disobedience. They are breaking the heart of God in two, but God remains faithful to them because He cannot deny Himself. Oh, but listen. As I said, He will chastise them. He will discipline. He will go after them. And I know that from firsthand experience when literally God grabbed me from the back of my neck, kicking and screaming when I ran away from the Lord. He's going to get His man. (laughs) God is going to get His woman. If it takes Him years, He's going to do it. That is the great blessing of our faith. Today, I want us to look at the very first inconsistency between position and practice. Our position as children of the living God, redeemed for all of eternity, and the unfaithfulness that some of us practice. I'm going to show you the first inconsistency. And I'm going to show you why Paul, of all the problems that we're going to see in the coming series, all of the problems, he chooses this one as the first inconsistency that is not honoring to God. Here in verses 10 to 17, you're going to see that first inconsistency. Because the one thing that breaks the heart of God… When any, any church, any church, when there is a strife and division. From birth to death, the natural inclination is to be and to have and to do what we want. The whole culture encourages that. The whole culture says, grab all you can. The whole culture said, the sky is the limit. Go for it regardless of whom you hurt. The word that's translated here, contention, I don't know what your translation said, but it's a word translated literally mean contention. This is the word iris, that's E-R-I-S. And Iris was the goddess of strife and wrangling. Beloved, listen. When the goddess of strife and wrangling rules supreme among Christians, Satan rejoices. When the goddess Iris of strife creates the atmosphere of gossip and backbiting and fighting and disagreements, Satan is delighted. He really is. Why do I say this? Because there are few things that can mar the testimony of a believer— like quarreling and fighting. Today there are many divisions in the church which actually causes some non-believers to be squirmish about the Christian faith. And I'm not talking about the silly things, the non-important things, the non-necessary for salvation. I'm talking about the big, biblical, doctrinal issues. I want to give you a litmus test. Here's a litmus test. You can apply it to yourself, apply it to your Christian friends. If a person says... Pastor Smelfungus said, you know that he belongs to a cult. It's cultish. They follow a leader. If a person says, the Word of God says, you know the Bible-believing Christians. <laughs> the person who quotes the Scripture, he's a follower of Jesus. The person who's constantly quoting a pastor, no matter who the pastor is, he belongs to a cult. Listen. And I hope to God that no one, none of the members of this church, and nobody would go and say, Michael said. Because if I'm saying is what the Word of God said, and I want to encourage you to cut out the middle man and just say, the Bible said. Can I get an amen? Amen. The Corinthians here, there were lots of spiritual sickness, but the Apostle Paul chooses to deal with this one cult of personality first because it's that important, that important to Paul. Because cults seek converts to their cult and to the cult leader instead of converts to Christ. But when it comes to the issue of biblical authority, when it comes to the infallibility of the Word of God, When it comes to the centrality of Jesus Christ, I want you to know this is a hill that I'm not only willing to die for, I'm ready to die for it even today. When it comes to biblical authority, when it comes to the inerrancy of the Scripture, you'll find that in this church there is no division, and I'm going to tell you why. What you hear from this pulpit is what you hear in Bible classes, is what you hear in home groups. Why? Because God is not confused or self-contradictory. Because God does not disagree with Himself. Because God and His Word are one. The Holy Spirit authored His Word. And that is why Paul was appealing to the Corinthian Christians to agree on the fundamental truth of the Scripture. He said, you should not follow personality cults, even if Paul himself is one of those personalities, I belong to Peter, Now I'm really following Paul, and I'm following Cephas, and I'm following. Come on. Paul said, Did Paul die for you? Was Paul crucified for you? Was Apollos crucified for you? No. No, and a million no's. What's the ultimate purpose of unity in Christ? What's the reason? Why? Why is it? Because. Unity in Christ is the will of God. Can you say that with me? Unity in Christ is. The psalmist said how beautiful it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he talks about unity between husband and wife, and he makes it very clear when there is dysfunction or no unity or disunity between husband and wife, he said, Your prayers will not be answered. The second reason why, because unity in Christ glorifies the Lord. And that is why the source of our unity is none other than the Holy Spirit Himself. (laughs) And He is the author of the Bible. He is the author of the Scripture. Paul repeats this very principle to the Philippians when he said, Do nothing out of selfish ambitions or empty conceit, but with humility put others ahead of yourself. Now, beloved, listen to me walking in the Spirit, submitting to the authority of the Spirit, placing oneself under the Word of God, produces both humility and unity. Amen. Certainly produces love for one another. But carnality, on the other hand, produces pride, self-centeredness, self-will, and hence division. Years ago, I read the story, and when you hear the language, you'll understand it was the language used back then. We don't use it now, but that's just… I'm going to repeat the story as I read it. A visitor went to visit what was called back then an insane asylum, and the visitor saw that only three guards were guarding hundred inmates. And so he asked the deputy warden, he said, don't you fear that these hundred people will overpower the three guards and escape? I'm quoting word for word here. The deputy warden said, no, because lunatics never unite. As I said, that's the language of yesteryear. We don't use that now. But it is true spiritual sanity unites people in Christ and for Christ. True spiritual sanity will produce the fruit of the Spirit. True spiritual sanity is going to attract non-believers and even those starving Christians who are in, in a dry land is going to attract them to Christ when they saw that unity and love and commitment.
0: Thank you for listening to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you'd like to learn more about how to have a personal relationship with Christ, start by going to ltw.org slash jesus fill out a short contact form, and connect with a leading-the-way pastor or counselor. That's at ltw.org slash jesus. Well, I hope you're able to listen to all of the messages in Dr. Youssef's series, Healthy Living in a Sick World. You'll not only gain an appreciation for the words of the Apostle Paul, but also that no-nonsense teaching of Dr. Yusef, as he helps you really understand the Bible as it applies to real life. Also remember, if you miss any messages, make a note to catch up at ltw.org or by getting subscribed to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you use. In fact, speaking of podcast, through his passion to reach the next generation, Dr. Youssef asked his son Jonathan, who serves on the pastoral team in his local church, to develop content geared toward equipping Christians of today to live biblically in a post-Christian culture. It's called Candid Conversations with Jonathan Youssef. When we don't know how to respond logically and rationally, that's typically when we default to the defensiveness yeah. and the ad hominems and we take that. In a leader's opinion, he talks a lot about what the Constitution does and does not say. Right. And the truth is, is that the Constitution does not talk about abortion so I just remember at that time uh, wondering okay well I'm stuck in this sandbox called science how do I find answers
1: beyond the sandbox what is beyond the sandbox what ex- I think yeah.
0: any false teacher will do it they'll take elements of truth and twist it for their own gain or for their own motives you know what the Christian faith offers that no other faith offers is God becoming man right uh, what a tremendous thing that Jesus Christ he came, a man. He entered into this world as a human being. Subscribe to Candid Conversations with Jonathan Youssef today. Hear Jonathan's passion for the truth of God's word and living a life that reflects the gospel. Learn more at ltw.org candid. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef.